Okay, guys, welcome to another Jesus Rant. Pastor Tom Carter, Word Without Walls Ministry. This is Season 4, Episode 10, Restored, Part 2. Last week, when we were talking about God's restoration, we were really focusing on the idea that God is the gardener who will prune and who will uh, get rid of things in our lives that don't need to be there and that shouldn't be there. And that it's not about our willpower. It's not about us turning over a new leaf. It's not about us fighting with things in order to defeat them. It's about us trusting in God. And a lot of what I want to talk about today, I have uh, three or four, I have four instances of Jesus healing or restoring people that I want to read today. But I want to focus on what it means to be restored. Like, what does being restored have give us? What does that do for us? Because it's more than just getting back what we lost. And, and again, that's what we talked about last week is God makes room for us so that we can have exceeding abundantly more than we could ask or even think. He doesn't just get rid of something and then replace it with, you know, kind of the same thing or, or, or something slightly different. God Jesus came and he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God wants something better for us. So anytime he, it, in this case, it really is addition by subtraction a lot of times. Because if God moves something out of your life, it's to make room for something greater in your life. So we don't have to worry about... Uh, to think the you know the the picture that we saw last week was we don't have to worry about the things that that the locusts have taken or stolen or destroyed because God sent those locusts and God restored us to a better place a better situation a better deal a better everything you know when 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 we talk about comparing and contrasting and Hebrews does this the the book of Hebrews does this wonderfully where it talks about comparing and contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant and everything in the new covenant is greater. Everything in the new covenant is better. Everything in the new covenant is more excellent because the new covenant is Jesus. And you know, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And then when we talk about, you know, Jesus said, there's a more excellent way. That excellent way is him. That ex that more excellent way is love. So what, what I really want to focus on today is what being restored is equips and empowers us to do. Because before the restoration happened, and I put that in past tense, happened 2,000 years ago on the cross is when we were restored. That's when Jesus was lifted up from the earth and he drew all men into himself and planted himself in all men, put us back in right standing with God the Father, not because God didn't see us that way, but because we didn't see ourselves that way and because we didn't see him that way. And that's a lot of what this restoration is. So many times Jesus would heal or restore blind people. And even in uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 21, it reads, At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who are blind. Three of the four stories that I'm going to read today are of Jesus restoring sight to the blind. Guys, that is so unbelievably important. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about, you know, the honey that, uh, I believe it was um, King David, before he was king even, uh, 
that he ate some of the honey that he wasn't supposed to, quote-unquote, wasn't supposed to eat because the king made a, a, a law saying don't eat until the battle's done, which is a horrible law if, if you know anything about battle because you want to eat and you want to be rested and you want to be strong. But David hadn't heard that law, so he ate the honey because he knew the, the, what it would do for him. And it says his, you know, his sight was restored. His eyes were restored. It, it, it empowered him. And that's what God always wants to do. He, Jesus restored so many people's sight so that they could see clearly. He even told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came to show us something better. He came to show us that more excellent way. Now look at this. I want to read two verses in the book of Psalms before we get started with our, our main uh, passages today. And you know I'm going to kind of move quickly because, you know, my, my girl of gospel style, I want to give you something to chew on but not to choke on. I'm not going to stay long. I'm going to do a little hit and run. But Psalm 51 verse 12 in the King James Version reads, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. It seems so often that we want to look at God as our boss. And there is a, you know, there is something of an aspect of that. When, when Jesus talked about you can't serve two masters because you'll hate one and love the other. You can't serve God and mammon. But it's like we, it, so many times I feel like we see religion as a ball and chain, as something holding us back from doing what we would rather be doing. Well, if I do this now, I'll be, you know, laying up treasures in heaven. And and while that is true, what, what <laughs> that, you know, the Bible does talk about that, but when you obey God, you have a better quality of life here and now on this earth, in this life. It's, a, it, it, it's being restored to the joy of his salvation. It's being restored to the way things always should have been before what they call, quote-unquote, the fall of man. And that was one of Jesus' big goals, and, you know, the the... The letters that John wrote, not his gospel necessarily, but the letters that he wrote later on, uh, he talks a lot about getting back to what was always true, getting back to the first, getting back to how things have always been, you know, before we kind of got lost along the way. So it's being, res it's, it's, it's restoration. It's being restored to how things were and always should have been. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. So, and, and I'm emphasizing that in the King James Version because in the New Living Translation, that same verse reads, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Obedience is such a trust issue. If you trust the Lord, you will obey the Lord. If you believe that what he has for you is what you should have, then you will have no problem obeying him because Whatever you think you know, he knows. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows where we should be and how to get us there. And all we have to do is trust in him. Um, another verse in Psalms, Psalm 37, 5 reads, Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. If you trust the Lord and if you commit everything you do to him, he will help you. It's it, God, I always bring up, the, the old Punisher movie where, you know, the Punisher's friend, Punisher's about to go on a, a, on a mission of, you know, vengeance, and, and his friend says, go with God. And Punisher says, God's going to sit this one out. And it's such like a tough guy line, and, and I think, you know, that's part of the reason that it stuck with me all these years. But 
God never sits anything out. God will never leave us nor forsake us. But he will let us do what we're of a mind to do to a certain degree. Like when, when God wanted Jonah to go preach to Nineveh, God kind of wasn't taking no for an answer. And if Jonah had just committed everything he was doing to the Lord and trusted in him, then he would have had a much easier and a much smoother time. And I'm, you know, my, my, my pastor would always say, sometimes you're called and sometimes you're cornered. Like, sometimes we don't want to hear what God is saying. Sometimes we don't want to go that way. Sometimes for whatever reason, we think we know best. But the Bible says in another place that there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. We don't know what God knows. He knows it because he, he knows everything. He's the creator of everything. And if we trust him, then he will make a way where there is no way. He will throw the branches that don't produce fruit into the fire. He will prune the branches that are producing fruit so they will produce more fruit. He will make things the way that he knows that they should be. But it's a trust issue. It's about trusting him. And to me, one of the most important ways that we are able to trust in the Lord is after he restores our sight. Because then we can see things clearly. Now, I said all that, and I want to get rid of the fourth story first, the one that's not about sight, because it, I guess I'm almost doing it backwards. But in, in the book of Mark, chapter 3, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and he heals the man's hand. And to me, that goes hand in hand with what we're talking about, because what you see is what you be. When you see clearly, when you see correctly, then you can do correctly, you can behave correctly. What you do flows from what you believe, and seeing is believing. So it all ties together. And maybe I should have saved this one for last, but I'm just going to roll with it. Mark chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And the, the heading in the Bible I'm reading out of says, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And I'm going to start with verse 1, and I'm going to read down through verse 6. It reads, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. I think in the King James it calls it a withered hand. It says, Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath which goes way back into all the all the Jewish cultures and all the Jewish laws and, and, and all the, you know, uh, I think even to this day, in, in some very, you know, more strict uh, Jewish situations, they have people who will even turn the lights on for them in the Sabbath because turning a light on is, is considered working. So even though it's, it, to me, it's almost ridiculous to think that healing somebody would be, something worth accusing somebody of working on the Sabbath and breaking a law on the Sabbath. That's where we were at at this time. And, and, and really, you know, in some cases, that's where we are even today. People will always look at you and try to find reasons to, to judge you and to, to slam you and, and to accuse you, right? Like we talked about a few weeks ago, the devil is the accuser. He's the accuser of the brother. And he wants to, you know, tell tell you what you're doing wrong with, with no ability to fix that or to help you do right. So anyway, in verse 3, it goes on and it says, Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. 
Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. To me, this story is so powerful, and I'm not even really getting into the the Jesus versus the Pharisees. That's for another time. To me, the fact that Jesus said, hold out your hand, and the man did. Jesus spoke, and the man trusted and obeyed, and then he was restored. And now that he's restored, now that he has two fully capable hands, he can literally do twice as much work. And, you know, if... if, if, a, if a lot of times the Bible makes things a lot more practical than we want to make them. A lot of times the Bible talks about feeding people who are hungry, or healing people who are sick, or clothing people who don't have any clothes. And, and it's like it's like we forget about that so many times. Like the physical stuff is important. If you're hungry, it's hard to listen to preaching because you're thinking about what you're going to eat. You're trying to meet that physical need before you can even get to your spiritual needs. And I'm not saying which one's more important or if one's more important. I'm just saying... As a human being, we take our physical stuff real, real important. But so this guy who has uh, he has a deformed hand, so I'm assuming that he was born that way. It doesn't say an injured hand. It doesn't say a mutilated hand. It said it's a deformed hand. So I'm assuming he he was born that way and he lived that way his whole life. That was all he knew was one good hand and one deformed hand. And then he meets this preacher and this preacher speaks to him and tells him what to do and he does it and all of a sudden he has two good hands. Man, if that kind of miracle won't build your faith and and you know put you in a in a place where you're ready to rock and roll when you I guarantee you that guy had an attitude of gratitude. I guarantee you that guy did not know what to do with himself or with Jesus. It was too probably too big and too powerful to all of a sudden be restored to full capacity, to be restored to, in this case, probably something that he had never known. Again, exceeding abundantly more than he could ever ask or think. He probably never thought one time in his whole life that he probably wished he had two good hands, but he probably never thought he could have two good hands because that sort of thing just doesn't happen. But God, but Jesus, Jesus comes and he speaks and we trust and we obey and restoration happens. And then we are empowered, equipped and empowered to go forth whole, to go forth complete, to go forth ready to rock and roll. So now that we have that done, I want to I want to read the three times, and these aren't the only times, but these are three times that I pulled out where, where Jesus healed blind, blind people. He did it a lot. It, like... Like I said, it, it almost seems like it was a personal project for him. Like he, that's why he can't. He came to open people's eyes. I always say it like this: Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Jesus came to open the eyes so that we could see clearly, so that we could see Him clearly, and by seeing Him clearly, we could see ourselves clearly. And when we see ourselves clearly, we can stop trying to be somebody we're not, and we can just simply be who we are. We can embrace ourselves, our true selves, who we are in Christ, which is who Christ is in us, and we can stop trying to be somebody we're not in order to get something we think we haven't got, and we can just simply live. We can just simply experience the, the eternal, everlasting, abundant resurrection life of love that is the gift of God by letting Jesus live it himself in us and through us and as us. Just like last week when we talked about it's the gardener who does the heavy lifting, it's Jesus living his own life 
in us. Nobody can live Jesus' life except Jesus. So all we have to do is trust in him. All we have to do is be willing to obey. And that comes from the restoration of the joy of his salvation. So let's look at Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. And the heading here is just simply, Jesus heals a blind man. It says, When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said. I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Which comes right back to that idea of Jesus and the gardener. The Garden of Eden was not just a place. The Garden of Eden was the finished work. Just the same as, you know, we we are in the kingdom and we are the kingdom. We were in the garden. We are the garden. We have been restored to the garden, to that finished work. And all Adam was supposed to do in the garden was tend it and keep it. So it's, it, 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 it's a time and a place of just resting in God's love and just letting everything we do flow from that rest. I'll say it again, committing everything we do to the Lord, trusting in Him and letting Him help us. So again, in verse 24 of Mark chapter 8, it says, The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. And the reason that, you know, Jesus... So many times when Jesus performed a miracle, he would tell the people that he healed, don't go tell anybody because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't doing it for the applause. He wasn't doing it for the fame. And he knew that the the more people who knew that he was performing miracles, like they, they would swamp him, they would storm him. They would, it would, it, in some ways it would just be a mess. Of course, every time he told people that they, they went and told everybody they could find, because how could you not? If your hand was withered and then all of a sudden your hand is fixed, somebody's going to ask about that. And, you know, even if they don't, look at me, my hand is fixed. Like, that's the greatest thing that's happened. All of a sudden, you can see when you've been blind, like, how could you not, how, how could that not jerk a praise out of you? And that's where I think, again, we get so so mixed up and so backwards is like, we want to praise God to make him do what we want him to do when that's not praise. Like, that's manipulation. Praise comes from somebody doing something praiseworthy right? If God restored your sight, then you could praise him because he did something worth being praised. And I think we have it so backwards so all of the time. We're always looking for, for God to do something. God did what he's going to do. He, he finished the work on the cross. Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. God's not, we shouldn't be waiting for God to do anything. I think God's waiting for us to do what we're supposed to do, now that he has restored us, now that he's equipped us and empowered us to experience his life, now that our hand is no longer withered, now that our eyes are no longer blind. But let's go on and let's read the next one. It's in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, I want to read verses 27 through 31. And this one again, the heading in the Bible says, Jesus heals the blind. Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 27, reads, After Jesus left the girl's home, 
two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us! They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. So Jesus is asking for faith, and they are providing it. it to me, again, it's all a trust issue. Obedience is a trust issue. Being restored is a trust issue. Letting Jesus do what he came to do. Letting Jesus be who he is, again, for us, but also in us and through us and as us. God gives us the way of grace, and we respond to it with the walk of faith. His part comes first, right? The Bible says we love because he first loved us, and a different translation says we love him because he first loved us, which makes perfect sense to me because he loves us and then we love him back by loving each other. So we do love him and we do love others. It's the same. We love him by loving others. So it's, it's, it's all of these stories to me, it, it's, it comes from the faith. It comes from them believing that Jesus can heal them. And really, you know, the, the man with the withered hand, he didn't even ask for it. He wasn't even expecting it. He probably thought nothing's going to happen on the Sabbath. Too. And yet, when Jesus told him to, to hold out his hand, he did. God spoke and man obeyed and restoration took place. And that restoration equipped and empowered us. So, Jesus said, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. To me, this is the story that encapsulates the way that Jesus operated in his earthwalk ministry so many times. Do you believe that I can do it? If they said yes, he said, your faith has made it so. And it wasn't, listen, God can do what he is going to do, whether or not your faith is involved at all. But when your faith is involved... That's when things, I always say it like this, the truth is true whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, but what makes the truth true for you is knowing it and believing it. It's like when, when if, if picture being trapped in a prison cell, right, and you're sleeping, and then the next morning you get up and, and, and you, you pace around the cell and you don't even try to open the door because you know that the door is locked. But the truth is, when you were sleeping, Jesus came like a thief in the night, and he unlocked the door. That door's unlocked, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not. But that door being unlocked does you no good until you know and believe that it's unlocked. Until you hear the good news of the gospel, until you see with your eyes that that door can open. And once you know that that door is unlocked, that's when you can use that door. That's when what's already true becomes true for you, and you can experience that truth in a real way. So let's move on to the last one before we run out of time. John chapter 9, I want to read verses 1 through 11. And this one says, Jesus heals a man born blind. So again, I think this is, I, I don't, it, the Bible doesn't say whether or not the man's deformed hand was like that from birth, but I feel like it was since it was deformed and since it wasn't injured or, or you know, whatever. But this guy for sure was born blind. And that's what it says in verse 1 of, of John chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, 
Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Which is, again, even today, that's what we think so many times. We think karma. We think, oh, I must have done something bad in a past life because this bad thing happened to me. Or, or even, this is payback for all the things that I've done in my life. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned, assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. It's like what uh, Joseph, with the coat of many colors, it's like what he said to his siblings after they had used and abused and sold him into slavery and all of these horrible things that happened to him. And one by one, a horrible thing would happen, and God would use it to elevate him even higher. And a horrible thing would happen, and God would use it to elevate him even higher. So, And then Joseph said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people. A lot of times in our lives, we think a bad thing is is the end, when, when really a lot of times it came to pass not to stay. If you're in a bad situation right now, you can find positives in it, you can learn from it, you can move forward, and you can trust in God to show his power, right? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Sometimes situations happen so that God can show up and show out. So in verse 6 it says, Then he, Jesus, spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. They asked, Who healed you? What happened? He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. And to me, it's that simple. To me, it's it's exactly what it said in the book of Psalms. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. If we are willing to obey God, if we have, if we understand the joy of his salvation, if we're not carrying, quote unquote, being a Christian around like a, like a ball and chain, if we're not looking at it as something heavy that's preventing us from doing the things we really want to do. I've preached on this many times and I probably will rant about it again, but grace is, when you understand the, how radical God's grace is, you will know that you can do whatever you want, but you won't want to do a whole lot of things that you thought you wanted to do. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Grace not only gives you license to do what you want to do, but it shows you what you really want to do. Grace is, the grace of God is so radical and so strong and so powerful that I used to always say grace will change your appetite, but really what grace does is 
Grace reveals your true appetite. Grace shows you what you're really hungry for in your life, what you should really be feeding on, which is, of course, the, the lamb and the water, the bread and the wine, Jesus, all of the righteous and holy things in life that are, are really meaningful and really sustaining, having relationships with people, helping people, healing the sick, clothing the poor, feeding the poor, opening people's eyes, showing them who Jesus is so that they can experience him on a much deeper level, man, I didn't even have time to get into, you know, the, the, he, he used his saliva again, and I didn't even really have time to touch too much on, on, on why Jesus was always using his saliva to, to open people's eyes, but even in this one, he spit on the ground, and he made mud with the saliva, he, he Jesus touched us where we were, and he didn't make people feel like they couldn't get up to where he was at. He always came down to our level. Even when he came to the woman caught in adultery, he stooped down to her level and he rode in the dirt. He was always bringing the divine to the natural. He was he he first came down to us so that he could then bring us up to himself. He, he it's so amazing to me how he always meets us right in the midst of our mess and he doesn't expect us to clean ourselves up. He, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this on you and then go wash yourself in the pool. Obedience, washing, clean. There's so much about washing in the Bible. You know, even washing feet and, and all these different things. But to me, it's about having faith that he can and will do what he came to do. And then receiving and releasing that restoration. Once you get restored, then you can see things clearly. You can use your hands. You can do the things that you were called and created to do. That's what being restored means. It doesn't just mean being put back together. It means being equipped and empowered to live this life that we were created to live. Wow, that went pretty fast. Um, we're just about out of time, but I want to thank you guys as always. Man, four seasons and we're getting into it. Um, all right, that's all I have for this week. So thanks guys. We will see you next week.